He is known for his creative writing style and the ability to bring you unusual and interesting stories from what would seem like really small and trivial encounters. And a skill that those who have worked with him know, delivering super witty headlines under cutthroat pressure. In this smartcast, we talk to him about the nature of writing, finding stories in the mundane, the art of talking to people, and of course, the future of writing. There's a lot to learn from him, and so our smartcast guest is Akshay Savai. This is the CTQ Smartcast, where we have conversations about up-leveling, deliberate practice, and getting future relevant. Hi, Akshay. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Sansi. Hi, everybody. So let's start with something that all of us try to do every day. And uh, we're just, most of us are sort of fiddling around and trying and making mistakes and getting on with it, which is the art of writing itself. So just to start off, can you give, say, tips for someone who wants to improve their writing? Okay. Uh, So it's... This is a, a very deep art and uh, I haven't, uh, it's not like I have mastered it or uh, anything of that sort. But, uh, okay, uh, so one thing that helped me, I'll talk about rather than just uh, general academic uh, advice, I'll talk about what helped me. Uh, so I started reading really early and I started reading uh, sports magazines, uh, uh, especially really early. I think uh, because there was a high interest in sports in our household, and uh, we had subscribed to a sports magazine called Sports Week. Uh, we had also subscribed to comics and uh, stuff like that. So I, I picked up the reading habit quite. I think that is important because uh, what happens is, uh, you know, like in music, you say, hey, so similarly, when you read, uh, you develop a sense of the, for the sound of the words, you know, for a sense for the language. And uh, things like sentence construction, uh, which surprisingly a lot of people, even in writing related fields, sometimes struggle with. But that becomes easier when, when you've read a lot, and especially if it's a subject that you enjoy. So that is one thing that helps. Uh, the other is obviously you need to be motivated uh, to become good at it. Um, Sometimes what I see, uh, now, as you know, in, in the newspaper world or in the media world, there are, there are the writers and then there are the reporters. And uh, then the reporters sort of are not that interested in improving their writing. But uh, I was always uh, interested in becoming a better writer. I was very clear. And uh, so uh, whatever I absorbed, and I did absorb a fair amount, uh, and I must mention the the, uh, the all the quality sports magazines that were there in our time, Sports Week, Sports Star, Sports World. They would also have syndicated articles from New York Times and uh, you know World Soccer Monthly and uh, all of that. So when you're exposed to that, you do soak up a lot of things. Uh, and yes, and if you want to improve, then you're picking up a little bit here, from here, there, everywhere, till you find a style and sound of your. Uh, um, another key moment, I would say, apart from reading as a child, was reading the book on writing by Stephen King. This was, uh, I was about uh, 28, 29 then. And uh, I was sort of had hit my first, 
wall in terms of uh, I thought okay I was getting a little bored in what I was doing and I wanted to sort of uh, uh, do different types of writing and I started uh, buying these books and Stephen King's on writing was definitely one of the books because it uh, it gave advice in very clear terms it was very readable also and it came from a man who has who just about makes about three and four hundred million dollars whatever <laughs> uh, who has made that much so there was a lot of credibility and uh, the advice was great one specific advice i learned was uh, to use uh, adjectives and adverbs sparingly and by that time i had been in journalism for about 10 years but i no i had not come across this piece of advice any you know and his whole thing was uh, okay these are like these are like uh, uh, it's like garnish on a dish that's how an uh, so yeah so that reading that book was also so on that same note, uh, do you keep any personal notes? So when you pick up, when you read interesting writing, or do you, if you, when you read particular books that, or a style that you like, do you keep personal notes of any kind and uh, something that will help you maybe find ideas, structures, or words easily? Yeah, I just, uh, like whenever I read any book, uh, I do uh, note down, uh, if there's anything I find of interest, I note down the page number, on the first page of that book that okay on page 62 nice description of such and such thing page 63 nice insight it could it could not be about writing it could just be about uh, uh, you know it could be any like uh, in in uh, uh, in sapiens which a lot which I, almost everybody has read uh, i found a great tip about uh, uh, detachment you know from one's problems uh, and it's a Buddhist technique where uh, you imagine that uh, you are sitting on, uh, on a beach and the water is your life. Now, this may sound a little cuckoo, but it's not. <laughs> it really is. At least it helped me. And, and the water is your life. The waves are your life. And there'll be big and stormy waves. Uh, and there'll be uh, a calm, placid waters as well. Um, and so you basically you are observing your own life from a certain distance. Uh, at the same time, you are not panicking by if, uh, when you see the big waves, nor are you very happy when there are nice happy. Waves. You know you are. Uh, and when I tried that technique, it it really uh, gave me uh, instant relief. Almost instantly, you develop a certain detachment towards the situation. So yeah. So to answer your question, I know these things now, and it could be about language, it could be about uh, about uh, nicely written passage, um, or it could be a tip like this. I do note it now. And speaking of detachment, do you think uh, writers tend, how attached do you think you should be to your own writing also? When you're saying something which uh, is now going to be read and commented by, by every person who is on Twitter, or every person who is can yeah. write a comment on your writing how much do you modify your writing to sort of please the crowd or, or how much of feedback from the lay people do you take seriously do you get worried about it should you i do uh, if if they have a point a it's not like i get thousands of letters so uh, but uh, i do if 
it's simple if the point is valid there is a mistake you own up to it and you and luckily now because uh, it's all online you can make that uh, correction you know it's not like in print where once it's appeared it's you can't correct it uh, so if the point is valid i absolutely take it i'll give you a very recent example top of the mind example uh, uh neomsaka story uh, and i had ended my piece by saying that uh, what she did was uh, you know unilateral and an excessive just pulling out of the tone yes i agree that uh, if it's mental health you have to be with it sensitively and it's completely her choice whether to do the press conference or not but to withdraw from the tone when the tournament is trying to reach out to you and have a dialogue i thought that was excessive and then i got a comment saying that uh, you know this is you didn't have to say that that it's uh, excessive because she is going through whatever she is going uh, and i uh, it's, it was from a complete stranger and uh, but i accepted it i and i also act, uh, i i replied to that person saying point point taken and i informed the desk that and we you know this is how and then i sent an alternative line so so i take uh, so as long as the point is valid i do take it uh, as far as pleasing people no no and what about uh, writers block that is something that all of us uh, uh, we do sometimes know we are in the middle of it sometimes we don't we can feel the struggle do you think how do you overcome it have you felt it uh, in your career and especially when you're delivering writing under deadlines you don't even yeah. have that excuse of saying you know i can't put it out uh, it's it has to come out so how do you yes. overcome it yeah i frankly feel see that uh, writers block is something that only authors deserve to speak about you know because uh, only they have put out those that volume of words uh, that they can actually you know it's a status symbol <laughs> to have a writers block that means you are some author you are a writer for starters <laughs> <laughs> so um, so no i haven't faced any writers block but because that's because i haven't uh, been a novelist as such i have tried of course i've written manuscripts many times over uh, but uh, no i haven't really faced it what does happen is uh, you just feel fatigue uh, and what then happens is that uh, you can still do your job you can still file a basic uh, story uh, you can get the job done but the lines don't flow your mind doesn't feel fresh and at that uh, such times uh, you just take a break of a couple of days. that's that's what work for me get a coffee and get on with it <laughs> uh, coffee or wherever i i like to go for a trip which uh, sort of uh, uh, that takes me away from again that uh, it gives me certain distance from my and then it clears my cache you know so uh, but it could be anything i just uh, so if i have those uh, the luxury to take a couple of days off then i uh, i often just switch the phone off <laughs> and uh, you know my wife alpana she says that look what if it's an emergency someone needs to contact me so then i said okay well they'll call you or uh, they'll call my mother on her landline or but too bad you know 
you can't just be a slave to the phone or live in fear. So there are times when I, for long stretches, I just switch the phone. And uh, either I go for a drive or a walk or I play uh, or I watch a movie. All right. So uh, as an editor looking at writing, so it could be your own writing or it could be someone else's writing. What do you think are sort of some sort of do's and don't do's of writing? Yeah, I myself have burnt my fingers, uh, have some nasty blogs about myself. I mean, people have. So uh, one mistake is uh, there are times when you want to sound impressive. You know, and uh, and sometimes you do write just to uh, just to just to impress. Uh, I'm not saying that's the only purpose of uh, uh, of uh, that's the only driving force. But sometimes you will throw in a certain word or a certain phrase, which uh, is really only to impress. There really is no need for that uh, because economy of words comes about everything. Right? You have the brevity is the soul, not just of wit, but all comes. Uh, but sometimes we just add an adjective here, a phrase there, a metaphor there. Uh, and uh, especially when one is younger. Uh, yeah, when I was younger, I feel now, okay, I overdid that. I overwrote that. Uh, also because you're so, uh, what happens is you're so, you can't help but not get conditioned by what your colleagues are saying and uh, so on. So somewhere you're also writing to them and some validation from them. So that's the mistake. Uh, overwriting is one mistake that I have made uh, and others make. I think another mistake I made was uh, I when I was with uh, a certain magazine, uh, very high quality magazine, I enjoyed my but the culture of that place was, uh, you know, was a little smart alley. You know, everybody's writing was a little smart alley. Everybody's thinking was a little cynical, snobbish. Uh, it was a snarky tone. And uh, I got caught up in that. Uh, you know, and then when I started writing like that, uh, slightly mocking tone. Uh, and then there was this trend of, you know, even editors would say it has to be irreverent, irreverent, irreverent. And uh, fundamentally, I don't believe in irreverence for the sake of it. Uh, I mean, if you're talking to, uh, say, Sachin, you can't deny that uh, what, he's, uh, what he's done is just... So irreverence for the sake of it is something I... It became a fad, but I didn't... Uh, subscribe to it, but for a while I did get caught. Uh, now, and that is another mistake that I made. So, the lesson from that was you have to be, you just have to be yourself. Uh, you can't let the culture of company uh, affect you so much uh, that uh, you know you start talking like them or start writing. So I'll also ask all of the others who are on the call as when they have a question regarding, we are talking about writing right now, we'll be moving on to other topics related to uh, the art of writing. Uh, if you have any questions, do send in on the chat and I'll read them out. Uh, while we uh, do that, uh, 
Akshay, can you give some tips on how to write headlines? Now, this is something which matters to us when we send out even stuff like newsletters or uh, emails or uh, so it, it is sort of crucial. But how do you, what are your tips on coming up with great headlines, especially when you have to do it quickly? Again, I think it starts with the kind of uh, 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 everything that you've soaked up in your in all the years, your childhood, in your youth, or even currently what shows you may be watching and so on. And that helps. Uh, so, um, for example, uh, see, even like when we were children, adver- advertisements were a big Okay. We do Darshan. And uh, so if there was a movie or so on, then in the interval, they would play the advertisement. And we used to watch even the advertisements with great interest and some of the lines you know were very nicely crafted you know like you know so you sort of subconsciously you start developing uh uh you know a, just a just a, an antenna for something that sounds catchy uh, uh, then uh, you know, like uh, the writer Kiran Nagarkar, uh, he uh, so he's uh, I think in Ravan and Eddie, he wrote about this. Uh, he wrote about uh, he grew up in the Shami Kapoor era. He wrote about uh, just the title of Dil Dekhe Dekho, you know, and he said it just rolls off the mouth of the tongue so beautifully. Dil Dekhe Dekho, you know, so it's short, it's uh, catchy, and at the same time. It is conveying something, you know, like give your heart away and deal deke deko. So I think that's the key. Uh, so again, if, okay, if you're in a, you um, have to give a headline, it's deadline time, then you first see, okay, who the protagonists are. You have to do justice. First part is that that main story has to be communicated. Okay. Uh, or, or the main protagonist has to be acknowledged. So the other day we spoke about uh, when Adam Gilchrist got that uh, century, the World Cup final, and our headline was Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb. So, uh, so A, I like it because A, it's short, again, pity. Two, uh, it's acknowledging, uh, it's not saying, it's, it's not acknowledging some third person. You know, it's, you are giving credit to the to the protagonist, the main protagonist, who was Adam. Uh, and three, it's catchy. So I think you need to. Uh, uh, so so these are the you have to remember this that the first commitment is towards uh, conveying the uh, or giving credit to either that event or the or the main character in that event. Uh, and two, in your spare time, you have. To start noticing these, like I gave you the example of Hawkins, or you know, whatever that uh, line was. All these lines have a certain flavor to them, have a certain drink to them, have a chaska to them, you know. Uh, uh, so I feel that, okay, if you start paying attention to those lines and it's not like, okay, you have to now make some uh, meta analysis of them. It's just that you notice them and at the subconscious level, then you start developing a 
back to come up with those kind of lines yourself. You have to sort of think. But yeah, uh, if it's a precious paper, then you quickly say, okay, what is this? Okay, World Cup final. Okay, two. Uh, what what has happened? First innings is over. Adam Gilchrist has scored a hundred in five balls. I'm exaggerating. Uh, and uh, we have to release an early edition. Uh, we don't have time to wait for the second edition. The story is Adam Gilchrist. So Adam. So you have to uh, get the key facts, focus on the key facts, and then work around. Okay. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay. So we'll take a uh, we'll take a couple of questions. Uh, so uh, Ramanand is asking: uh, cliches are often a part of sports writing. How do you try to find yeah. interesting analogies or turns of phrase that avoid these, and have your own distinct? Yeah. Okay. So one is to again to trust your own instinct, and uh, like if you notice the other day, so uh, uh, the other day Ajinkya Rahane was doing a virtual press conference from Australia, okay, uh, and uh, so what helps is to observe, just observe whatever it is that you can see, whatever that strikes you. Now in a virtual PC, there is not much to see, um, okay, but. Uh, and I noticed that his eyebrows keep going up. With every point he explains, his uh, eyebrows keep going up. Uh, and uh, and then what you do in such a situation is, okay, you don't want to say something cliched, but so you close your eyes and you think of the, you just think what it reminds you. And what it reminded me of was just leaping dolphins, you know. Uh, just dolphins leaping out of the water, going back in, and uh, and that's what I wrote. So you go, uh, you, and I think after a few years, you know, okay, what is corny and what is what is good, and this I thought was good. Uh, somebody else may feel differently, but I was happy, uh, and I went ahead. So that's what you do. You 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 note down, okay, uh, eyebrows are going up now. What? Could I compare this to something? What is it that it reminds me of? Okay, dolphins. So uh, that is one thing to avoid the cliche. And uh, you know, uh, and sometimes it's really not hard to avoid the cliche. You just uh, just don't use them. You don't. You really don't have to. Uh, you really don't have to uh, any more say that cricket is a game of glorious uncertainty, or uh, those lines. Then simply drop them. Simply drop them. And if you find sometimes the thing with cliches is again uh, there are uh, it's so ingrained, and sometimes you think of that phrase. Then maybe in your first draft you write it out. Then you mark it that okay, the cliche. I'm not going to use cliches. Okay, this is one of the grounds. So then, what is it uh, that you can, that you yourself can come? Like uh, everybody says, this is different than chalk and cheese. This is as different as chalk and cheese. Why does it have to be chalk and cheese always? It could be chalk and it could be anything. You know, you could just make it chalk and paneer. That's a little corny, but I'm saying there are million things you can do. With. So that is uh, what. Uh, I, I do with the 
Alright. So on that note, we are going to put you on the spot in a minute uh, to ask you a quiz question, uh, which has a tiny prize related to our reading compound as well. Before we do that, one quick question for you from Dharmendra, which is, uh, what is the future for writing as a sustainable career? It depends on uh, on what uh, type of writing it is, Dharmendra. Uh, I mean, if it's uh, the media industry, media industry is facing a lot of challenges currently. People are losing jobs. I lost my job at PT last year. Uh, but uh, I feel at the same time, I heard the other day I was reading uh, it's Kevin, o Kevin O'Leary, right? The Shark Tank guy. Yeah. yeah. So Kevin O'Leary said how these skills are uh, picking up again, how there's great demand for it. Because see, if you, if you can no longer write for a newspaper, you can, uh, and if, but at the same time, if you are a sound writer who can come up with creative lines, and good writing has to be a mix of the simple and the smart. It can't be all smart, smart, smart. That is annoying. So if you are a sound writer like that, there's a lot of demand from, uh, say, people who want their own, you know, their Instagram presence or their online presence have to keep posting. The posts have to be interesting. So uh, in that sense, the skill from whatever I read is actually there's an increasing demand for for good writing skills. It's just that it's required in different sort of in non-traditional, uh, so far non-traditional companies. Uh, also, I think it's a, uh, again, corpcom and so on, because a lot of people who are maybe on the tech side of things or so on, uh, they probably, they've grown up with SMS lingo, I'm not saying all of them. Uh, so it's hard to find uh, people who can even write complete sentences. And if you can put them across uh, well, then I'm sure there's some kind of. But uh, yes, other other fields are definitely other writing related fields are going rough ways. Newspapers, publishing. Uh, these are struggling guys. And uh, if one wants to become a mainstream writer, then one will have to do a lot of due diligence before picking that up as a career. Really what the options are. Uh, also with writing, uh, this is what I tell many youngsters, if anybody asks, comes to me for career guidance. I say, look, you're at academics, if you have options in IT or management, please go for that. And because writing is something, uh, it's an important talent. It's, but it's something you can do on the side as well, you know. But if you're absolutely consumed by it and if you don't have other career plans, then yes, you should, should do your uh, Just check what the scope for employment is next. And I think, uh, I mean, just to add to that, I personally always felt that journalism was not as much about writing as about finding good stories and finding the means to find good stories because a lot of good stories yeah, I mean in office especially we had a lot of people who could just find the stories which nobody else could and that made them uh, way better journalists than just someone who had you know who was a fluent writer or who had great experience. Well, of course of course of course I mean uh, that comes first news and contacts come first 
in journalism uh, uh, the, the writing part comes second there's no doubt about it uh, so ankita is asking how much time do you spend editing your writing and do you work on it until yeah. you are satisfied or do you stick to a deadline and just let it go no i work on it uh, quite a bit uh, yes and if, uh, the deadline is extremely short then uh, but i i still give it a once over very quickly and luckily and just because of the amount of years i have spent i can do it pretty fast also so i absolutely edit till the last possible and a, a, a sort of close question on the heels of that is uh, what are some ways of ensuring that the quality of your output remains high even when you're working under these time constraints do you have any especially when for example you spoke about uh, reviewing your work to remove the cliches that you have written down so are there any sort of ways in which you uh, you are able to maintain a particular standard so when you are rewriting your stuff yeah again i think it's something if it is something that you've grown up with it is something that uh, has been important to you throughout your career then it is uh, then you will over a period of time uh, develop uh, the ability to write well even under that uh, maybe not every copy will be as good as uh, uh, or or really tick all the boxes but you will still maintain a certain standard so that comes with experience i feel and if it is important so if it matters to it matters to you you will uh, you will do it consistently and then till you reach a point where you can do it fast at uh, irrespective of the deadline just doing it multiple times will help you hone those uh, skills that you yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to put yourself in those situations so uh, uh, you know so uh, ankita right ankita's question Uh, this so was what Ankita. Omkar. She asked the earlier. So Omkar asked this particular question. Omkar. Omkar. Okay. So my answer to Omkar is, uh, you know, you can just put yourself in uh, uh, in those situations. Give you what uh, is he around? I can I talk? Yeah. 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 I'm around. Yeah. So Omkar, what you could do is, if you want to learn uh, writing well and that too fast is. you know just to give drills uh, practice some drills yourself like uh, what are you interested in well uh, well food writing uh, music maybe a bit of cricket uh, just of the okay. top, top, so, top of my head right so if you have to do a restaurant review for example and you have half an hour right so uh, you just try writing a review in half an hour uh huh yeah or you or you try writing a cricket match report uh, maybe just a first innings report or whatever in half an hour or 40 minutes or whatever it is so uh, then that that's one way to for a non journalist to sort of learn writing fast and that's so what is essentially creating those uh, creating those newsroom like conditions where there are deadlines there is a short deadline and you Uh, sort of self-imposing all of those constraints upon yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. Be able to work within those bounds. Right. Yeah. Just test yourself. Yeah. Seems like an interesting experiment. I hope it is interesting for you. <laughs> I'll give it a try. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. And if you do well, uh, Akshay will give you a job. 
<laughs> I am looking for one myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go on to a quiz question. So we are uh, also into uh, we love quizzing and uh, uh, a, a sort of like a this uh, this question will be related to something that you like as well. Uh, okay. As a prize for that, as a sort of semi incentive for you to even cracking it and working hard towards getting it is uh, we have these CTQ uh, compounds which we run which uh, help you develop habits over time. And okay. uh, we are we'll give you a slot on one of those compounds, which again you can use it for yourself or you can gift it to anybody you like. Nice. So uh, this is the question Back for you. you. Yeah. This is your question. So it was reported as a matrix shot from the 2005 U.S. Open men's final. After David Foster Wallace wrote about this magical shot in his essay, "Watching Federer is a religious experience." Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was special about this shot? I think he hit it moving backwards. Uh, that's that's exactly what David Foster Wallace said. Ah, uh, okay. So do you want? There is a little addition to it that I want in the answer. You are absolutely bang on about it. That's what he uh, wrote that he fell backwards. Oh, yeah, inside out forehand. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, no, there's nothing else that. Uh, there's no other detail that I remember. Let's say uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is something as a writer you would think really. I mean, uh, how did this happen? Okay. I mean, as a re writer reading another writer's <laughs> work, you would think how how did this go through? Okay, so not a very good hint. So, uh, so let, uh, I'll give you one more. So people went on YouTube. They they loved it. I mean, people could imagine it very well, and they went on YouTube to watch it. And they big scene where he dodges the bullet. Yeah, that's what everyone's expectation was. <laughs> uh. But the answer is that it never happened. That shot didn't happen in that match at all. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, good sports writing can do, which is to, so a lot of people believed they saw it as well. But if you actually go back to the match and see it, that shot, there is one shot that comes sort of close, but it's nowhere close to how he described it. Okay. But uh, it never happened. So, that was the, uh, that was the sort of extra answer oh, that you were looking for. Oh, oh, oh. sorry. All right. So no problem. So we now we'll go on to the other art of, uh, so I mean something that comes before writing, something that is again relevant today because a lot of people are doing these kind of calls, these interviews, podcasts, and yeah. so on. So uh, let's start with inter the the skills that you need for interviewing people. So you have uh, let's start with your most interesting interviews, whom who which have been the most memorable for you. And also something that went on very well, some an interview that you think flowed very well, and as a result, the output of it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you where you just strike a chord with the person, right. it all goes well. Uh, okay. So I'll start with the interviews that uh, were interesting experiences. One was with Mike Tyson, <laughs> and uh, the the thing is that. Uh, it was all very 
it, it was all just so random everything was so random okay a he was brought here by some arabs uh for some <laughs> kumite fighting league or something like that and there was a press conference and then uh, and then they one on ones were in the saint at the saint regis hotel and uh, he was in one room uh, adjacent room doing the interview and uh, everybody else they had also booked a suite these were the good old pre corona days <laughs> where press conferences would be lavish and so everybody else was in a suite and there were a random cast of characters around adi pancholi walked in wearing sunglasses and uh, salman's bodyguard shera he was <laughs> in charge of the security aisan security <laughs> so it's all uh, it's fun even just waiting and then all of us got like about a minute or two minutes of one on one my guys and i got 100 seconds okay and um, uh, and his manager was this very typical american guy right? even his the the just the lang the words he was using, you got a sec you got a minute pal uh, you know stuff like that so uh, he was polite but he was very like on the ball got a minute and a half pal uh, and so when my turn came a the thing about mike tyson is you cannot imagine how big he is huge and he's not very tall but his width is like something else you know he was like lalbagh sa raja or something and uh, uh, this big head like and i think uh, and i shook hands with him and uh, you know and then the line again again the uh, so Uh, like i said it's important to listen to what you first feel what your first response is when you either see somebody or shake hand i felt like crocodile had grabbed my hand that's the easy strength and he wasn't even trying to do anything he just held my hand but that was the pull that i felt and huge hands you know and but i got a minute and a half and uh, just because he also mike tyson right he writes the story himself kind of you know it's bound to be interesting uh but i started with that line that thanksgiving felt like was like uh, like crocodile was grabbing your arm so uh, and so there was a lot of color to add and even with those 100 seconds i could then weave around a lead story from that a good 700 800 minutes uh because even in a minute and a half i got to ask some five six quick questions just but up and uh, that all put together with the mood and everything uh, was uh, uh, you know it uh, it was really an interesting thing also he was such a huge figure especially when we were going up the things that he did uh, not just the scandals even as a fighter i mean i very clearly remember there was a very high bout of his with uh, michael spinks and months and months of publicity articles and so on and then the bout came and we watched the news 91 seconds oh, game over <laughs> people would uh, boxers would be scared anyway so um, uh, so that was uh, tyson the other one was uh, uh, this was during the match fixing years when the story first broke uh, late 90 1997 to precise um 
and uh, i just thought okay uh, no so far uh, uh, imran khan hasn't spoken about this might you know what uh, and completely out of the blue i just called in pakistan from the midday office uh, which was in uh, parel and uh, and i somehow got the number of uh, a office uh, of the hospital uh, he had he had with shaukat khanam memorial hospital then from the hospital i think i got some other number and then finally those were the days you is asked for imran khan's number somebody gave it to you uh, also midday was a very uh, a popular paper back those days and then i i rang that uh, number and it was i think in the afternoon and i think this uh, an old man picked up the phone you know probably his father and i could and they are punjabi exactly end of the day they are punjabi so i could hear him shout to oi imran e some reset uh, <laughs> you know phone and imran came on the line and he sounded a little tired you know he was probably taking a nap or something uh you sounding tired and said so okay tell me what do you want to know uh so and he did he spoke for about 5 minutes and uh, i did this completely out of the blue uh, sorry if it sounds like uh, tooting my own horn but uh, i hadn't told anyone i had told ayaz was the, the editor uh, but when i got the interview i told him and he was thrilled he was absolutely thrilled and they carried it as a lively uh so front page over the lead as a box and imran i think had said yes match fixing is so on <laughs> so that was one and an interview where the conversation flowed uh, probably one with uh, you know there's a uh, uh, the very famous uh, british uh, advertising guy called thomas hegarty uh, and uh, he was uh, he's he's been knighted and so on he was uh, he had come to india uh, and i had interviewed him and i i remember that was a great chat because uh, somehow the sometimes the westerners tend to be a little more open uh, they they're not as guarded i mean he may be more guarded if he's talking to a british paper because that but so but it was absolutely great then he ended up being a tennis fan and uh, we had uh, yeah it was it was a nice conversation uh, so that's one that comes to mind so especially when you do these long interviews obviously when you have a short time there's not enough time to sort of to have any rapo establishment or anything but when you are doing these longer interviews do you have any tips on how to uh, quickly establish that rapo so that you can get the best yeah. out yeah yeah absolutely you have to be uh, a you have to be on time i am not the most punctual guy in normal uh, but when, when there's an interview i don't take a chance i reach like well in advance on time always um to you uh, have to dress well again this is something for some reason journalists don't like and uh, uh but you have to dress well you have to make a good impression i'm not saying okay 
be overdressed or wear expensive things. No, just be neat. Uh, to, uh, you uh, have to get across that uh, uh, that you've read up, you know something about that person. And maybe start with a couple of easy questions. Looseners. So then you ease into it and let the person relax a bit. And unlike you, you ask me very tough questions. Right? I know. I have, this interview has gone down slide right from the start. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, uh, yeah, th those would be my. So, just uh, as an example, we were talking yesterday about how you asked uh, Boris Becker whether he thought uh, strawberries and cream were overrated at Wimbledon as your. I don't know if that was the opening question, but. Uh, at well, least... That was an email. That was, a, that uh, was uh, an email. Yeah. And I, but I have made certain uh, popas even in person where, uh, and I thought, okay. But one makes these mistakes when you are. Uh, but one way to be memorable is to be this kind of unexpected. Uh, yeah, so it can be unexpected uh, and it can be fun. Like the strawberries question is not going to offend him, you know. Uh, but, uh, but sometimes one comes to the, you know, that probing question right away. Uh, and that sometimes backfires. And, uh, then you later, or sometimes you yourself want to sound a little clever, like I said, uh, thinking that, oh, this guy will now think, oh, what a brilliant words with this person. But that doesn't always work out. So uh, <clears throat> it's better to sort of, uh, you know, take it slow and ease your way into it. And that killer question has then <laughs> comes in <laughs> after, uh, you know, you've, uh, uh, after a while or. Softened them up with all the <laughs> patent them for the kill. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I hope you're reading the chat also because uh, they are send people are sending comments and uh, uh, interesting uh, funny funny jokes as well uh, online. So uh, let's go on to how do you prepare for an interview? You mentioned that you read up on that person as well, but do you practice your questions? Do you uh, so, sort of sometimes I feel that the spontaneity goes if you have practiced too much or if you have thought about it too much? How much of preparation goes? What spontaneity? Uh, I mean, in the uh, writing, yeah, I'm not so I'm much. Not going, but I'm not going on a date, or I'm not, uh, uh, or we are not going to do a movie scene. You know, where okay, that spontaneity is going to result in something. Uh, no, uh, okay, that, but uh, I know what you're saying, but it's best to at least have the list of questions and uh, ha have a certain, uh, do a certain mapping out. And okay, this is what I'm going to open. So on. The spontaneity will come from how that interview is going, right? Because then say something, then you'll have a counter question and uh, uh, so on. So that's where the spontaneity will come. But then there are people who need no notes at all, uh, who, who can just, uh, I mean, they do probably prepare their questions, but they don't, they, it's all in their head and they can simply, uh, they don't need the notes. But I don't, uh, I mean, I, I do need, I do make a list of questions. Then, uh, so what I do is I first make a spontaneous, to use your word, a spontaneous list of questions. Then I, uh, in the in the final uh, list, what I do is I'll 
I take them according to, okay, this will be at the start. This will be after this and so on. That's the final. So I do, I do uh, work on this. Planned spontaneity. Huh? Planned spontaneity. Yeah. Correct. All right. So uh, let's go on to the art of basically telling the story. So now we have sort of covered the base, the sort of uh, nuts and bolts of writing and talking and interviewing. But as a story, when you're presenting it, uh, again, as an editor, what do you think? Can you tell us what elements to a story make it unique? Yeah. So, uh, uh, okay, the simple answer is it has to be a mix of uh, readability and uh, and relevance. Uh, if I'm talking, if I've spoken to Tendulkar today, uh, I can't just go on about something that is not re related to current affairs. So he's talking about politician. So I have to, yes, I can maybe take a few lines to set the mood, but I have to come to that point rather quickly. Uh, so, uh, so, it has to be a mix of that, of relevance and, uh, I mean, what is the point? That point has to come. So, uh, it's in, in movies, they call it the inciting incident. Uh, like, I've, I've been attending Boman Irani's uh, script writing workshop uh, the last few months. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, just realize how much goes into a film script. You know, it's not just creativity. And it's not just plot, uh, but there's a certain uh, skeleton to it, structure to it that you have to follow. So there, one of the things uh, there is, uh, it's called the inciting incident, which has to come in uh, the first 20 minutes or so. Because that sets that uh, the protagonist on the journey that's going to be most of the film. So it's like that. Uh, so when you're writing an interview, you have to quickly come to the point uh, as to what that interview is about, uh, or a story, or even if it's the uh, the inverted pyramid format. Just that don't make it very dull. But the pyramid has to has to evolve. And do you follow any other uh, story frameworks? No, not really. I mean, no, no. I just keep this in mind that okay, the uh, new news part is the non-negotiable. It has to come first. Then uh, what you try and do is maybe put in your own individuality a bit, put in some flavor, some masala. Stuff. Masala, not in a bad way, uh, not in a, a stardust kind of way, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, make it make it readable, make it uh, make it good writing. Uh, but not uh, not overwriting. I do see some writers just. I mean, finally you wonder what hell are you going on about? What is the point? So at Choose to Think, we also deal a lot with curiosity and habit building. And I know that I mean, as our listeners would also know through this interview that you are basically a very curious person. So uh, how are the ways that you do you consciously practice curiosity? What do you uh, do you seek out these experiences? What are the ways in which you remain or stay curious? I think it just, uh, I think if you're interested in things, you will be curious about it. Uh, 
so it again depends on uh, like with the dal bukhar you know it's something that uh, i mean even i uh, so uh, at, in that phase especially i was uh, like enjoy these things more but uh, and so when uh, the uh, sunday hd had this section where just experience something and write about it then we got touch with itc and they said okay come so i was in the kitchen of uh, peshavari making dal bukhara so uh, yeah i think it it completely the the stems out of interest you know so um, and then it the good thing about that is then you can do a lot of cross referencing in your right if you are interested in multiple things you know then you can connect something uh, in sports to some example in the, from the from the movies or or food or different things so so uh, so if if i like watches for example okay if i then then i know that okay, pedro wears rolex not just wears it but there's a certain you get that perspective okay it's a, it's a great association of brands you know pedro and rolex you know they are just perfect for each other. so you develop these perspectives uh you know nadal wears richard meal which is like a new watch compared to a rolex a new brand and the and and a lot of people criticize pedro for being this elitist uh person the rolex but the, and and nadal is more humble which he is uh but the richard meal costs about 2 crores it's such a complicated watch and it's that's 10 times what a rolex almost so you know you uh i think uh, that's what uh, being interested uh, different thing does uh and can bring it all right whatever works so i uh, again to answer your question just be interested at the same time don't force it if you're not interested in something don't force it also we'll come to a bunch of rapid fire questions with you before we do that uh, now that you have sort of followed the careers and uh, of many different not just celebrities high performing athletes at the top of your profession pretty closely so what can you think of any habits or skills which they have which you know a common man wouldn't know or it would be interesting to pick it up like something you learned from watching them or following them yeah yeah i think one one great thing about athletes is uh, whatever they may be otherwise or or not uh, but they are very disciplined uh and uh, that's one thing that you learn from them uh they also have uh, like sindhu pv uh, sindhu for example no mobile phone for i am gopi chand just yeah, before the rio olympics uh he didn't give uh, or some other major event most probably it was the rio she he just took her phone away saying that okay now for the next Four to six weeks, or whatever that period is, you are not going to get. It. Uh, and to do it day in and day out, uh, so these are things that you learn from, you know, or uh, 
Sachin, even uh, when he was starting out, used to maintain a small diet. Uh, uh, just noting down, okay, this is my schedule. What I do. Uh, and even even the sheer respect he had for his vocation, you know, uh, that was also something very admirable. Never took it for granted. Treated his kit like it was, uh, uh, you know, it was something sacred, you know. So I think those things are uh, are quite inspiring, and uh, you do learn a lot. And for example, in this case, what you would see is okay, whatever my career may be, but this my career is it's what feeds me, and I need to respect. Many times we feel fed up of our uh, of our jobs, and it's natural. It's also true that we meet some really terrible people, professional life, uh, and you feel fed up, and you uh, develop some bitterness. But uh, times like these, when you see something like this, you uh, you know, like uh, Sachin's last gesture when he retired, you know, the Namaskar Kela picture. That was mind blowing. I mean, it was extremely touching, and uh, and it a huge lesson. I guess it's your uh, your karma book. Uh, Imran Khan again. I I keep going back to Imran. I know uh, it's not politically correct to mention him, but uh, extremely admirable uh, work ethic priorities. He said, uh, he said, like, uh, when he was coming up, he said, I used to feel that all people have big dreams. You know, everybody wants. And he said, in reality, yeah, as children, we all want fantastic things. We all want to be Superman and pilot and this. But as we grow up, he said, most people just want simple things. But he said, I was not like that. I always wanted And so it all starts from there. And so these are lessons. Uh, uh, that you learn. Sunil Balaskar, again, a huge, uh, again, a guy who lives a very organized life. Even today, eats sparingly, exercises. He's 70 plus now. Never miss, will never miss his exercise. Right priority. So that is something uh, is, uh, and I have also sort of uh, adapted or what, uh, adopted somewhat. All right, so let's let's end this uh, super interesting talk with some of your favorites, Akshay. And uh, so just think of it in sort of a quick succession, quick succession of uh, whatever comes to your mind. You can just say. So let's start with uh, your favorite headlines, whether you have now uh, your own or something that you have read. Any of your favorites that stick to your mind? Uh, okay, uh, again, my favorite may again sound like uh, little vain. But I did like uh, during the 2006 Football World Cup, uh, uh, there was a headline, nothing's, when Ghana did, was doing well, the headline was, nothing's Ghana stop us now. <laughs> so that is one that I like. Uh, and there were many, there were, there have been many, but I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, not of mine, but that I've come across different papers, magazines. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, I don't right. remember them uh, now. Yeah. Okay. 
for your favorite writer so uh, names that come uh, again spontaneously are uh, manu joseph uh, then internationally there's an author called peter mail uh, who just writes these very relaxing enjoyable books about provence because he wrote a book called a year in provence which is simply about a year in provence and he writes about all nice things wine sentences and that so i like uh, him i like uh, david halberstam who wrote uh, michael jordan's uh, biography authorized by an extremely rigorous writer he interviewed some 90 people 90 for that book not a great stylist but extremely hard working and such a great book uh, it's called playing for kids uh, oh yeah and and of course john krakauer uh, john krakauer's into finer beautiful writer just beautiful writer uh, feeling with which into thin air has just poured from here you can make out uh, the thing is after some years in the business you can make out that something has come from the heart john krakauer has written many books but uh, into thin air is about this disastrous everest expedition which he was on also and he just saw a lot of his colleagues and friends he had made along the way die there was one storm one night uh, it came back he was hot and told about so these are books that really have they're beautiful they're just splendid uh, on the same note uh, someone whose bio, biopic or biography should be out there and is it vinod kamri <laughs> yeah because uh, a very interesting kal uh i don't sympathize with him too much i think uh, he it's not like uh, i don't see him uh, it's not like i feel he also had deserved some blame but again that's one uh, name that comes to mind and actually manoj prabhakar also you know i have always in fact i had suggested it to some manoj prabhakar because he he was that typical delhi wala uh, you know character and a fine fantastic bowler also the amount of uh, the swing that he got uh, when bowling uh, it was he was a really good cricketer great bowler do- very uh, dogged batsman also and a very cunning chap and uh, and then he goes round and he performs this sting operation on the legends of indian cricket goes to gavaskar house rings his bell sting with a briefcase goes to they all live in the same building goes to shasin house goes here there and a uh, very colorful guy uh, so that is uh, uh, i think that would make he's not like a huge name but uh, uh, but i think uh, he would make for an interesting bio so dharmendra suggesting that you should do the kamli biography totally and he remembers uh, your piece uh, i mean the one he remembers as a youngster is the one that was written by on sachin and vinod kamli as kids as uh, as 
uh, one of the earliest his memories is story right so let's go on to your favorite uh, uh, podcast or magazine or newspaper uh, let's say magazine because or website so that's the i do i have subscribed to uh, uh, the uh, new york times online then guardian i wouldn't say they are my favorites but just uh, one needs to uh, be keep a breast of things um i don't have a favorite i quite what, enjoy what is the first time. what is the first website you go to when you log in uh sorry and to answer your question sorry, about magazines, times, uh, yeah. i quite enjoy reading yeah <laughs> uh, plus they have some good puzzles but uh, jokes aside uh, i think they sometimes have some good stuff uh and there's this international magazine that uh, uh my wife introduced me to it's called monocle monocle it's uh, really nice well produced beautifully designed and not over designed you know that's the other thing even in magazine just as in writing you have over writing in magazines everything is just some magazines are too well designed yeah. and this too much going on uh but monocle is beautiful and uh, it costs a, it co- it's very expensive but uh, it's worth it it's a quarterly uh, it's a uk publication highbrow yes i saw uh, i think i've been mentioned okay who is the goat according to you greatest of all time <laughs> uh for now i i will still give uh, pedro the edge but if djokovic wins the grand slam then i think there's no argument this year he can sweep all four plus he can take the olympic gold if he does that then you have to hang currently i'll still give pedro the edge and not just statistically my argument is greatness is a combination of yes stats are uh, uh stats are uh, important of course they are the but uh, if djokovic gets a grand slam uh, but federer has this great competition he just fabulous athlete you also have to factor in the slight slowing down of surfaces the strings that have helped uh, tennis become more foolproof and error free but i think if you gave a wooden racket in all these guys hands i would still feel federer would would be the best but if djokovic gets a grand slam then they, it would just be very unfair and very then keep saying that no still not okay right. that's another thing that sport teaches it teaches you sports and journalism these things teach teach you that you learn accept and finally just to wind it up one habit that you think has helped in your career uh as a writer or generally as well i i always uh, played sports so i would say that is one habit that has uh really helped me not just in terms of uh, the physical side the fitness side or whatever uh, but uh, even mentally uh, so uh that is one thing and yes i think like i said at the beginning when i started reading sports my career by the time i was in fifth 
almost the entire article. I may not under would not probably understand all of it, but I had started reading it, and that really the brain has plasticity. That's what one keeps reading these days, and I think uh, that really made uh, writing came quite easily. At, at least basic writing. On that note, thanks a lot, Akshay. I think I spoke to you more about writing than I ever did when I was working as a writer. So thank you so much, and thanks for opening up to all of us as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Santi.